opinions expressed in this podcast are individual and are not necessarily representative of Spirit Live or Toronto Metropolitan University. Thank you for listening. What is up, everybody? This is now episode four of Rock the Boat. I'm, of course, your host, Liam Boatsmith, here to give you my thoughts on the week that was in the world of sports. Now, this is being recorded on November 12th, and the time is... 8.30 p.m. So, in store today, I'm going to discuss the Clippers' poor start with James Harden, CJ Stroud's excellence, and the unlikely hot start by the Minnesota Timberwolves. As always, sandwiched between those main topics, we'll have our special segments, Walk the Plank, and Sink or Swim. Let's get right into it. So, Clippers have now played four basketball games since their big acquisition of James Harden. And surprise, surprise, they're 0 for 4. 0 of 4. Look, I think if you've watched basketball for a while and you've seen, you know, either the Clippers or Harden play, you'd have known that this was not going to be a fun marriage between the two parties. Now, I mean, did I think they'd be as bad as they've looked? No. Probably not, and I still think that they'll improve and put some wins on the board. You know, I don't think they're going to go 0-75 with them or whatever, however many games they have left. But, like, I saw people raving about this deal, acting like the Clips were all of a sudden real contenders in the West. And it's just like, what basketball have you been watching the last three years? This is just not something that's going to work. Even if you... Even if you, let's ignore the off-court issues for now that come along with James Harden. Even just from a basketball perspective, this union makes no sense. Harden is an all-time high usage guy. He needs the ball in his hands to be effective. He can't defend. He certainly can't play off the ball on offense. He absolutely needs the ball. Now that's a problem on the Clippers because that's not what they need him for. They already have Kawhi Leonard, who's best with the ball in his hands, getting to that midi pull-up that he does better than just about anyone in the league. Paul George, most effective as a guy who has the ball often, making decisions, shooting, or getting to the basket. Now, George is a good three-point shooter. He could theoretically play off ball, but that would be significantly diminishing his output on the floor and not making the most out of him at all. And I don't think at this point in Harden's career, it's worth taking the ball out of PG's hands to give it to James. Then there's Russell Westbrook. And I mean, he proved last year with the Lakers that he certainly can't play off ball, which, you know, really that just confirmed what everybody already knew or everybody should have already known. And I mean, they played together in Houston, Harden and Westbrook. They cannot coexist. Why the Clippers front office thought it was going to work in LA or think it's going to work in LA, I'm not sure. Looking at it, you know, from a an overarching perspective though, just overall, the way this team is being put together screams of desperation. They made the massive deal for PG, which of course in turn brought in Kawhi, and it finally seemed like the ever-cursed Clippers were going to maybe be able to get over the hump And now, I mean, more than a few injuries later, they're still the same old cursed Clippers. Only now they've added a guy who's quit on three teams in the past four years. That's it. 
that's uh, that's my James Harden Clippers rant. CJ Stroud has officially entered himself into the MVP conversation in the NFL. And he's a rookie from Ohio State with their piss poor history of quarterbacks translating to the NFL. Justin Fields looking at you. I don't even know where to start with him. He's been nothing short of spectacular this season for Houston. The Texans are now 5-4. and four, And, you know, to I think a shock to almost everyone in the football community, they, they realistically have their sights set on the playoffs. And Stroud was really solid, especially for a rookie, through eight weeks. But his absolute explosion last week against the Buccaneers really put the football world on notice. He set an NFL rookie record for single-game passing yards with 470, surpassing Andrew Luck. And along with that, he went for five tuds and no picks. Not to mention, he pulled off a wild 50-second drill down four at the end of the game to take the lead with 10 seconds left and eventually give his team the win. And on that drive, he was absolutely surgical. You know, reading the coverage, throwing with perfect accuracy to exactly where the ball needed to go at exactly the right time, and he led the comeback, and the Texans won 39-37. He followed this up just earlier today by leading the Texans to another win, a comeback win, over the Cincinnati Bengals, who were just starting to catch fire and look like the team we expected them to be in the preseason. I think they'd won maybe three in a row. Burrow fully back from that. I think it was an Achilles injury that was nagging him clearly in the first three, four weeks of the season. But Houston took him down. Stroud's numbers in the game weren't as gaudy as, you know, last week. He threw one touchdown pass, go along with one real boneheaded interception where he really just misread the coverage. But he still finished with 356 yards through the air and scored a touchdown with his legs. Once again, leading his Texans to the victory. So, is Stroud really in the MVP conversation? I mean, yes and no. Does he warrant his name being mentioned in the conversation with his 15 touchdowns and two interceptions to go along with 2,626 passing yards? Which, by the way, is good for, I believe, second in the whole league? Yes. He, his name should be in the conversation. Is he realistically still a long shot? Absolutely. His team record will likely not be as good as the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. And, you know, I don't know if this is me being naive because he has looked great, but he's still a rookie. To me, you, you just have to think he's going to hit a bump in the road eventually. Right? Like it, it can't all just be smooth sailing. There has to be a, a, a two game stretch, a three game stretch where he struggles, right? I would think so. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. You never know. Nonetheless, CJ Stroud has arrived. He's already playing like a top 10 quarterback in the league, and he absolutely has all the makings of a franchise guy for the Texans. And he is certainly looking like the best quarterback from this most recent draft class. It is time for Walk the Plank. No honorable mentions for this week, so let's just get straight into the list. Up first, Bill Belichick. The Pats are 2-8. That's 
it's weird to to see that to say that to to put that out there cuz you know I'm 22 years old my whole life the patriots have been good aside from you know the last couple of years and they were still all right saying the pats are 2 of 8 to me or other I'm sure other people from my generation just it, it's it seems like an absurd statement it's crazy but they are they're 2 and 8 Mac Jones, the starting quarterback, was benched for the final drive of their loss to the Colts today. Belichick was caught earlier this week on a ring camera or something doing what uh, what looked to be the walk of shame. He appeared to be in absolute shambles as if, you know, I don't want to speculate, but as if perhaps he was quite inebriated the night before. And I mean, everything combined, all the signs are there. It seems like his time's coming to an end in New England. He's certainly one of the best to ever do it. But unfortunately, everyone gets passed over eventually, and I think it's Bill's time. So for that, seems like a, a good week to send him off the plank. Up next, we got another head coach, this time from the NHL, Jay Woodcroft. Woodcroft is a bit of a different story. So, yes... The Oilers kind of already made him walk the plank by walking him right out the door as they fired him. And I don't necessarily want to gang up on Woodcroft because I do think he's kind of being made to be a scapegoat here, or in Edmonton, rather. But he still certainly does hold some accountability. Edmonton's 3-9-1. This is a roster that was one of the cup favorites heading into the season. Yes, their goaltending has been absolutely horrible, but Woodcroft just, he, he hadn't gotten enough out of his players to this point. He, he has McDavid, he has Dreisaitl, and they just, they've just been disappointing. And I mean, something had to change. Do I necessarily think he is the person who should have gone? Maybe not, but he's, he definitely holds some accountability. And for that, he must walk the plank for like, Kind of the second time today, sort of. And last but certainly not least, the Los Angeles Chargers. This is not for anything in particular they did this week. You know, they were in the game late against what I think is a really good Detroit Lions team. It's more just for everything they've been forever, really. And it was on display again today. When they need a win, when they need to make a statement, when they have a chance to stand up and, you know, show the world that they have what it takes, you know, that the Chargers are a real team to be concerned about if you're a different contender in the NFL. Every time they fold. Time and time again, they fold. And they did so again today. They're just, they cannot get it done when they need to get it done. I don't, I'm not a, a real spiritual guy, but I think they're cursed. I think they're cursed. And, uh, may, you know, maybe me tossing them overboard can cure them somehow. Look at the T-Wolves, man. I, hand up here. I've got to admit, I was not high on Minnesota coming into the season. I just didn't see it. I thought Rudy was pretty much done. You know, not the defensive stalwart that he once was. He's back. 
I went against the grain with Anthony Edwards. You know, I, I knew he was going to be good. I personally didn't think he was going to make that leap from star to superstar. It's the hardest jump to make in the NBA. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't believe in him to do that. And he has certainly done so to this point in the season. Cat and Rudy, I thought were done. Didn't think they would ever work together. Well, I'm going to be honest about that. I'm still not too sure. And I don't have them on me, but I'm pretty sure there's some numbers that back me up on that. That, you know, Cat and Rudy still aren't coexisting all that well. Nonetheless, Minnesota is much better than I predicted. I missed that one. You know, they are... They are 6-2 right now, riding a five-game win streak, and are playing the Warriors right now, looking to make it six in a row. Their defense is elite. They've got the number one defensive rating in the league. Like I said earlier, Gobert is back and dominating the paint, while McDaniels is wreaking havoc on the wing, and when he wants to, which is not often, but when he wants to, I'd like to point out that Anthony Edwards is a fantastic defender. I mean, if you watch basketball, you just know. You know he's wildly athletic, and when he puts his mind to it on the defensive end, he can be a real disruptor. Offensively, Ant is averaging something like 28 points, 5 assists, and 6 boards on solid shooting numbers, 48% from the field, 36% from 3, and he seems absolutely unstoppable when he gets it going source for that just so you guys don't check me my source for that is overtime from the celtics game do yourselves a favor and go go check out if you can watch the full overtime or go check out the highlights bro went crazy also nasreed is fun i like nasreed a lot and i think he's super good for that team i really think he contributes to their winning, and he's a solid, solid piece coming off the bench. Carl Anthony Towns, a bit of a different story for me. I still think that Cat is a bum, kind of. Uh, not a bum, I think he's a good player. I certainly don't think he's the max player that he's been made out to be. And he's really been the lone disappointment for the team this year. He's averaging just like 19 and 9. I think, on real rough efficiency. They're making it work, so I don't necessarily think anything will happen, but a cat trade is certainly not out of the question, I think, if they start to struggle for a stretch. All that being said, I'm still not 100% sold. Yes, I definitely now think they're a solid playoff team, but do I think they'll finish top four in the West and make a playoff run? Sorry, but no. Call me a hater, but I just need to see a bit more before I anoint them near the top of what is a terrific Western Conference. This is Sink or Swim NBA MVP Frontrunners Edition. Basically, I'm just going to go through who I see as the top seven MVP candidates as of now, and I'm going to pick the three that I think will end the season as the top three. Those three will swim. And then the other four, I'm going to pick to sink. Not that I think they're going to fall off a cliff in any way, 
They're just not my picks for the top three. So getting it started with Nikola Jokic. The former two-time MVP is insanely good at basketball. Surprise. Jokic I'm taking to swim for sure. The Nuggets as of right now I think are the top seed in the West. They've lost just one game I want to say this season. And he is the main reason why. Jamal Murray's been injured for for their last few games and Jokic is just he's going crazy right now. He is averaging like 30 points, 13 rebounds and eight assists or nine assists on good efficiency. It's just, it's crazy what he's doing offensively. He is by far the best player in the league and watching him play. You just see how easy he makes it for the rest of the guys on his team and how big of a problem he is for guys on the other team. So Nikola Jokic certainly swim. Now, Steph Curry, Steph, it pains me to do this. I'm going to have to take Steph to sink. I don't think he's going to finish top three. The Warriors have lost a couple in a row. I'm just, I'm not sure if he has enough help to where he'll have a record that can put him in contention with Jokic. And I'm not going to spoil it, but some other guys I have on this list. He has this year, I saw this stat. Curry has, I think, something like nine 20-point games, maybe eight. The rest of the Warriors have one, and it was Dario Saric. I mean, get that man some help, please. Because Curry is having a great individual season again. He's averaging 30 points a game, four assists, four rebounds, almost five rebounds maybe. His true shooting percentage is up in the high 600s, as it usually is. But I just don't think the record is going to be there for him to be in contention with some of the other guys. So, Curry, I'm going to take to sink. Joe L. Embiid, the reigning MVP, got to say swim. You got to say swim. The Sixers have just one loss this year. They're atop the Eastern Conference. He and his run, new running mate, Tyrese Maxey, have been going crazy. And there's no reason not to think he'll be top three in the MVP again. He's averaging 33 points a game, I think. Career high, five and a half assists. 12 rebounds almost. His true shooting is above 600. What more do you want from the guy? He's also still a great defender. He's blocking shots, protecting the rim. And his team has one loss and is the one seed in the East. So there's there's really... No reason not to have Embiid in the top three right now. And up next, we have Luka Doncic. Luka, you know, only picking three is really tough. Luka, unfortunately, I had to take to sink. The Mavs are playing great, better than I thought. They've had a bit of a cupcake schedule. I don't want to discredit what they've done, but... It hasn't been a super tough road for them. So, you know, are they going to stay as a top three seed in the West? Who knows? But Doncic for sure is going to keep up what he's doing. 
and that's just pretty much averaging 38 and 8 as he does. His efficiency has been great. He's up in the mid 600s in true shooting percentage. He's above 50% from the field for, I believe, the first time in his career. Above 40% from three for, again, I think the first time in his career, which is crazy when you think about the difficulty of shots that he takes. And he is leading that team. He's obviously the leading offensive engine on Dallas, who is a good team. But, you know, I can only pick three guys. And unfortunately, Doncic, you know, he just missed out. He was probably my fourth. I'm not doing a full list, but he was probably my fourth if if I were to expand it. Here we have the aforementioned Anthony Edwards. Edwards is a sink for me. Yes, he's having a great season. He's breaking out. He's a legit superstar now. I was wrong on that. Is he top three MVP conversation yet? I don't think so. Again, I think the T-Wolves are going to fall off a little bit, probably be in that five to eight range. Edwards averaging 27, five and six. Great numbers, but not necessarily enough with a team that isn't going to be, you know, a top two seed to warrant himself top three in the MVP conversation. Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. Celtics are second in the East. They are, I believe, seven and two. And, you know, the Celtics have looked great. They've looked great. And Tatum is obviously a massive piece of that, the, the biggest piece to the puzzle for them. He's doing his thing. He's averaging 28. I'd like to see the the assists, you know, go up a little. It's still only uh, three and a half, four a game, somewhere in there. But the rebounds are up almost in double digits, eight or nine, I think. And he's been shooting the ball efficiently. Again, another mid-600 true shooting guy. And I still think the Celtics are going to win the East. He's obviously going to be the leader of that. So as the best player on the best team in the East, he'll certainly warrant being in the discussion. But I just, I don't have him top three at this point. I've got another guy. I may be a little biased for this. He's a Canadian boy, but I've got Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I I still really like the Thunder. They haven't necessarily got off to as hot a start as I would have liked as a person with a whole lot of Thunder stock. stock. They're 5-4 and four right now, but I still think they're going to finish as a top four seed in the West. I think it's going to be in large part because of Shea. And for that, I think he's he's going to be top three in the MVP conversation. He's averaging almost 30 points a game, hovering around six assists, around six rebounds, I think, maybe seven. He's shooting the ball efficiently, low 600s true shooting. I'm pretty sure last I checked, he was one of the league leaders in steals as well. You'll have to fact check me on that, but I think he's been getting his hand on the ball defensively. And... I just think he's going to lead that young team to a great spot where they need to be. And I think the voters will take note of that. So Shea Gilgis-Alexander is my last swim. That makes my top three MVP choices. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That is all for today. You can catch me back next week for some more sports news, some more sports talk. 
This, of course, was Rock the Boat. I'm your host, Liam Boatsmith, signing off for now. Have a good week, guys.